Hello, everyone. This is Tanner with the Equality Arizona podcast. Uh, this is the Queer and Trans Cultural Hub. And today we're talking with Tate Walker. Hey, Tate, how are you doing? I'm great. Thanks so much for having me on. Yeah, it's really, really nice to have you. Would you like to just introduce yourself? Tell us about who you are and then we can go from there. Of course. I'm Dr. Yapi. Chante washte yuha. I said, hello, my friends and relatives. I greet you with a good heart. My name is Tate. I am uh, Minikonju Lakota and a citizen of the Cheyenne River Sioux Tribe of South Dakota and been living in the Phoenix Valley area now since 2015. So I've been here a little bit. Uh, Plenty of roots. Love it. And I, um, I'm a two-spirit storyteller. Uh, I do a lot with multimedia, 15 years in news media, magazine writing. I still do some freelance there. I um, currently work for a local tribe as communications director for their school district. Super fun stuff, especially with this uh, pandemic. But love, love uh, being a community builder. And poetry allows me to do that in very creative ways. Thank you so much. So did you did you grow up in South Dakota? Yeah, for the most part. My my father was in the military, and so we moved around with him a lot. But uh, my mother's family is from Eagle Butte, South Dakota, Dupree area. And um, so we spent quite a bit of time there. If I, if I spent any time the most, it was South Dakota, because then I also spent part of my uh, professional career in um, the east part of the state. Cool. Yeah. Um. I, I'm so glad that you agreed to be in a queer poetry salon. Um, when wasn't that like around the time that the pandemic started? Def- yeah, no, I was looking back, and uh, the queer poetry salon was one of the first things uh, that I did in terms of just really anything creative once the pandemic hit. Because I think we were connected with uh, Two Spirit Powwow here in Phoenix. That's right. And then from there, we um, connected on. Uh, Equality Arizona's uh, Queer Poetry Salon. And that was such a um, lifeline, if you will, just considering how, I mean, it's still terrible, but it was, it was really bad uh, back then. And I uh, always appreciate that that was something you cast off for us. So thank you, Tanner. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. I mean, I've just been really enjoying getting to know your work. Um, and I, I mean, I've tried my hardest with the Queer Poetry Salon to include as many indigenous poets as possible. Mainly, I mean, like we're in Arizona, which has such a big indigenous population. I feel like there's not always the kind of representation in every poetry community that there needs to be. Um, I was wondering if you could talk about the state of indigenous poetry in arizona or you could just talk about the scene talk about like how you've seen it grown and where you see it going and you know where you would like to see it go great question i think this last year has really seen um just a tremendous amount of growth in the representation of queer indigenous poetry um, and, and, and I should say indigenous poetry in general, right? Like that's always something that we're 
we're just trying to get the baseline here. Uh, queer indigenous poetry would be amazing if we could get that on a lot of people's radars. Um, I think Joy Harjo was a big catalyst for a lot of indigenous poetry to get sort of mainstream vibes going. And we have a lot of really great indigenous poets in general. I mean, outside of, I mean, Joy Harjo is great. Um, going into second year here as a national poet laureate, but um you know, we've got uh, Tommy Pico, who was on Queer Poetry Salon 2. Um, we've got uh, Sherwin Bitsui, who's doing some great stuff with uh, the university system here right now. They've got some big reads going on with uh, with their poet poetry. Um, I'm blinking on some Amber McCrary, uh, who's uh, Danae and just started her very own publishing house <laughs> to get uh, Indigenous creatives. And, and, and I mean, she's a poet herself uh, uh, and published i just think that's amazing right we don't see that we haven't seen that and um i don't know if it was just the fact that we were so hunkered down that we were just like let's get it out but you know 2020 really saw a lot of great indigenous poetics come through um but that's that's a lot of hard work on on folks like your end right and people who have a platform to share making that space um i i don't have any actual like books of poetry out uh i think you helped me get my first poems published in um the anomaly magazine and um my first time even performing poetry was with uh, an indigenous group at palabras bookstore in phoenix uh just two years ago and and it was immediately clear um that just with the groups that I was performing with, like we needed that representation. It was, it was one of those interesting things to have folks go like, I didn't realize that was the experience of native people. I didn't realize you were invisible. And I was like, you just proved my point though. (laughs) Um, You know, uh, like, and, and so yeah, the, the, our voices are needed. Um, Our, our, our happiness, our hope, our sadness, our traumas, um, all of it. And these spaces that are allowing us to um, get those those heartworks out there, uh, just super needed. I mean, it's 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 medicine, right? Um, that's that's what our poetry can do, and where I want it to go. I mean, I think uh, we're seeing new generations of Native people like totally healing it, right, with their works. I'm thinking right now of my uh, good buddy Saria Taylor uh, who is doing some phenomenal work with with um, youth indigenous youth poetics and um, they actually just did a workshop today for 300 youth not just native youth but all like young people who just wanted to know more about that art and it was Saria leading that workshop um, with a, 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 someone else too she co-led that uh, workshop but um, I can't think of the other person's name right now Samuel something or other who I'm sure is great, but Surya, I mean, I think they're sort of um, someone we can put as sort of a spotlight on of, of where we can see it going. If um, someone who can speak uh, of, you know, some of the, the experiences of, of a modern contemporary indigenous person. Um, and when we can put a queer spin on it, I mean, we just, we just hit, I mean, the rainbow prism just really gets us all. And that's, uh, that's where the magic happens. I, I agree. It's, it's so, um, it's really humbling for me, you know, and I mean, I, I guess like both of us are not originally from Arizona, but 
Um, it's it's amazing to see what's happening here and the kind of gravity that is sort of like being created around indigenous poetry here in Arizona. And um, I'm just grateful to be adjacent to it. You know what I mean? To be in proximity to, to what people here are doing. And um, people, you know, meeting poets like yourself, like has been so heartwarming to me because it's a, a I feel like when I arrived in Phoenix, that there really wasn't there wasn't this the kind of robustness that there is now in the poetry community, like where there's a lot more diversity and there's a lot more focus on different communities. Um, when did you get here, Tanner? I got here. I, I moved to Phoenix about four years ago. Yeah, I agree. Then, yeah, it definitely wasn't where it's at right now. And I mean, and that's not even looking for it, right? Like these things just sort of pop up on my feed sometimes. And uh, I run a couple different pages of different groups. And, uh, you know, so I can tell the algorithm's not just set for me as, you know, indigenous queer, let's get her, <laughs> um, you know, but uh, it's 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 legit like being pushed into our, um, into some mainstream uh, platforms. And I, <laughs> it's just so great. And from, um, you know, like you say, just being part of, uh you know, the experience of seeing these other indigenous uh, poets, I mean, making it right. Like that's, it's really powerful. And just like, Oh, like that's what we're working towards. Right. Like that's the community we're trying to build is just this place that, um, you know, there's this idea with indigenous anything, right? Like we have to, we're survivors. We've survived. And like, the poetic experience that we're seeing right now, it's, it, it feels more like a thrivance, right? Like I'm glad we survived and I'm totally, you know, there for people who are surviving. Like that's a thing, but I also really, especially as like an indigenous mother, I need to see us thriving. I need to see us move beyond this space of just surviving and get into a place where we're freaking happy <laughs> and creating heartwork and, and thriving um, to the point of, of, you know, participating in the world we want to see and, and the world that we're building right right now is a place that we want to end up. And that's, that's pretty beautiful. I I totally agree. And I mean, I think that like, I was really happy to get to meet um, Tommy Pico through, through the reading that we did a couple of months ago. Like when I read his work, it was really a kind of life changing for me because not only I mean, I just, I sort of like could just relate to the person that I perceived to be writing the poems. But for me, it was like an indigenous queer person that was saying that they could do whatever they wanted to do in their poems, that they didn't have to be confined by like an idea of what they should do as an indigenous poet. And I hope, I hope to see more of that. In in the work where a person is not kind of like confined by what a publisher wants to, you know, do you know what I mean? Like by what a publisher says should be published. Right. Um, but anyway, I, that's something that I see as being a really positive thing going on right now. Um, I, I, so here's a question that I have for you. Um, in a broader sense, how do you feel, where do you feel that Arizona can go in terms of like 
representing queer voices in the larger LGBTQ community and in in just like the queer dialogue that's taking place in the state. I personally feel that indigenous people are often left out of the conversation, but I'd like to hear how you feel about it and what you would like to tell the LGBT community about that. Well, there's nowhere to go but up, right? <laughs> uh, um, <laughs> uh, yeah, we have a lot of work to do for sure. Uh, and I'll take it to sort of an example of the why, because like the why we have to do this work. Um, so I mentioned I work for a local tribe and uh, I work for their education system. And part of my job is to help write you know, board policy and procedure and um, get those things passed. And one of the first things I did in this role nearly five years ago now was help write a trans inclusive student policy. Because of course, at the time we were talking bathroom bills galore, which some <laughs> never seems to go away. Um, and what was really great about that is it was youth led. It wasn't adults being like, where should we have kids go bathroom? Should we watch them while they do it? Um, which was part of the conversation, sadly, but with the youth uh, he- headlining this um, policy, it was uh, first of all super simple, right? They didn't have to dance around the issue; it was it was impacting them specifically, and it um, turned into this really great document that was essentially, you know, all of our students are human beings and uh, deserve not just to go to the bathroom where they want, but to study the courses they want, which includes, you know, culturally competent courses, which of course then includes like, you know, gender identity, right? Cause that's culturally competent. And also, um, you know, sports athletics, you, know, you play on the team you want to play on. It speaks to you. And it was, um, <laughs> it was so simple. Uh, to have these voices, uh, these young voices um, really come through and just be like, this is our school. We deserve to m- shape it the way we want our education to be. And it passed, right? Like a lot of folks were like, it's not going to pass. Oh, they're going to debate it to death, blah, 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 blah. And, you know, legitimate fear can that happens, but it didn't, it, it totally, it, it, it passed. And uh, you know what? No one died. <laughs> the world didn't end. And, uh, you know, the students kept on learning and the, it, like, <laughs> Really, very little change happened after that because it was kind of one of those, uh, you know, the youth are already kind of doing this now. And if we don't keep up with them, like businesses, uh, education systems, of course, uh, uh, we're going to be left behind and they're not going to wait for us. And I think that's we we have to look at that as, uh, you know, in terms of being relevant, in terms of being just, you know, caring community members, (laughs) in terms of being like you know, I'm, 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 I'm a elder in training. Right. And I really need to make sure that I've got, uh, you know, a, a finger on what, what, what the young people, what the next generations care about. And really it's, uh, it's inclusion and it's, um, seats at the table and it's leading that table. Um, or they're going to freaking flip it over. Right. And <laughs> they will have every right to do that. So what we see right now isn't enough at all. Uh, I mean, I love that, you know, a, a space like Equality Arizona is making a space for Indigenous voices. But that's, you know, that's a, a it's kind of a gimme, right? Like, okay, we, we should be, but like, we need places like the state capitol <laughs> to make space for us. We need, uh, you know, business owners. Uh, we need people in Scottsdale legislature, you know, representing Scottsdale to understand that uh, HIV isn't 
you know, something you can catch in the air. So that's why we didn't need masks for AIDS. Um, you know, this, these are things that are, uh, people are woefully ignorant and in harmful ways. You know, ignorance is one of those things you can kind of sometimes brush off like another ignorant. But this is stuff that's harmful, just straight up harmful to our young people and, and you know, folks within our queer communities. Uh, if we don't address them now, it's, um, we're, we're, we're going to be um, left behind in so many different ways. Uh, and, and we've seen ourselves left behind, right? Like, um, I don't know about you, but growing up, uh, you know, things like Two-Spirit weren't in a daily conversation, um, even among, you know, my own community uh, as Indigenous people. Um, yeah, bisexual wasn't a word I even knew um, when I was thinking about girls in sexual ways. Uh, as a teenager. And, you know, that's, that's a hard place to be in a place that I never want my kid to be in um, or any kid right now to be in. And um, so that's, that's the work I'm trying to do. And um, that I think we're all like you, me uh, trying to do. Uh, and and we just need more people to get on board with that. Um, so I don't have like a specific answer other than to like, you either make space or space is going to be made, made for us. Uh, we're going to you know bust through those lines. It, it might hurt, but um it's, it's happening. Uh, I, I think we've seen quite a bit of movement on some of these uh, issues, uh, new administration, thankfully, but, you know, always work to be done for sure. Um, but uh, seats at the table, seats at the head of the table, um, building that table ourselves kind of thing, especially if the table isn't uh, inclusive or welcoming to us, then we build our own fucking tables. So. Yeah, no, it's, it's so true. And I think that, I think that the thing that's really interesting is, is that hopefully more indigenous philosophies and ideologies can, can be the ideologies and philosophies that guide leadership going forward. Um, so I think that like oftentimes, you know, communities of color, different, different people in America, um, are allowed a seat at the table, but as long as they're like following the philosophical rules and guidelines of the Western capitalist world. For sure. And right. you know what I mean? So it's like, I, yeah, I sometimes feel, we don't even want to be at that table. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. Right. So I don't know. And I feel like that's one way that poetry really can act on the culture and like I was I heard uh, Jake Skeets talk about the work that he's doing at Denae College and they've really been you know it's it's really it's a marvel and it's a model I think for other indigenous communities you know who who want to just look at what someone's doing and they've like really based their teaching practices on a more Denae philosophy from what i understand of what he said and i think that that's so powerful i'd like to see more of it um but i i was curious you know we talked beforehand and we mentioned identity uh, and you were just talking about you know how the word two-spirit was not something that was really said when you were growing up and I was wondering if you could just kind of touch on those sort of things, you know, like reclaiming an ancient thing that that we know to be true and how that is for you. Um, yeah. Yeah, no, identity can be such a powerful place to just become whole again. Um, 
so I, I, uh, I was raised, um, primarily by my father who's, who's white it's from Brooklyn, New York. And, um, and very performative native in that way. So we had, we had uh, powwows and feathers and pottery in the house, but uh, you know, no language, no, you know, concepts of ceremony. Um, and it, and it was, uh, you know, I danced for my classmates and the white school or Columbus day came around and people would look at me and, you know, Thanksgiving and that kind of thing. Um, and uh there, there was always something missing. Um, and in high school that came to a head, uh, for both my queer identity and also, you know, indigenous identity, um, raised Catholic. So queerness was always seen as evil. I mean, it was definitely not the place you wanted to be. (laughs) Um, and, uh, when I started falling in love with a, a best friend, um, I had no idea what to do with it, first of all, and had no, again, concept of things like bisexuality, right? Like, oh, I think that girl's cute, but I also think that boy's cute. Ah, what do I do? Um, and so uh, I, I came out, um, I, was, I was 17, 16, 17, and um, came out as gay because I, I really wasn't sure. I mean, Ellen was coming out as gay, and that was just sort of a word that people used. So I was like, yes, I'm, I'm gay. And it was um, kind of a, uh, a blow up point for my for for me personally as a family. I uh, got into drugs and alcohol and um, making lots of bad life choices there. Um, but I was also in a group home. I um, my my family put me in a group home, and um, so I spent uh, my high school senior year there. And that was not a fun place to be. Except that because there were so many natives. And this is North Dakota, by the way. This isn't uh, the the state that brought you no dapple. Um, uh, so I'm in Bismarck, North Dakota, a group home. And uh, in states with a lot of native population, native youth and native adults make up uh, a super large percentage of those who are incarcerated. Um, I think the stat up in the Great Plains is uh, native youth are less than 10%. So I think it's like between seven and eight percent of the population total native population or native youth um i'm sorry not total native population total state population would be like seven eight percent would be native youth in the system as in like state group homes things like that we represent over 70 to 80 percent uh of the of the youth who are um incarcerated and that's first of all not okay that disparity is just ridiculous um when you look at the number of youth in foster care, it's even higher. Um, But where that benefited me was they understood there was a need to sort of reach us at a cultural level. And so it was in the group home that I was first introduced to uh, uh, a NIPI ceremony, um, which is a sweat lodge um, and had no idea what I mean, I kind of heard sweat lodge, but I had no clue you know, we didn't have internet back then. It was like, you do your best with an imagination and go from there. Um, you know, encyclopedia didn't have this listed, so I don't know what it looks like. But um, so we, they took us, uh, the group of native kids, native delinquents, and they brought us to um, a land owned by the prison and had uh, male prisoners, native male prisoners lead us in our, in our NIPI. Um and I say that with kind of a little like saltiness because uh, knowing what I know now, having been in social work and education for you know 20 plus years, um, that could have been a recipe for a disaster. 
But thankfully it wasn't. And it was transformative in a way that I'll never be able to thank the folks who led that first in EP for me because um, they introduced me not just to this idea that my, my native identity, my Lakota identity could fill holes that I was filling with negative things, um, but also could accept me for like the people I loved, <laughs> right? Like here's these native male prisoners who f- have no reason to be like, um, you know, inclusive in, in like for gender or anything like that. I mean, we weren't talking about uh, things like inclusivity back in the you know late nineties. It was uh, very, very structured boxes that we were checking. Um, and so, but to have them talk about, um, you know, when Lakota, the, the word has always been winkta, which is uh, more, more describes an effeminate man, but it was used as sort of a catch-all word for gay back then. We were, we're reclaiming more words now, which is great. I'll get to that in a second. But, um, but this person was talking about how like winkta were, powerful and um, blood ceremonies like Inipi or even Sundance or marriages, things like this. And I was just like, what? Like, if you can imagine like my head just, just, just filling with so many like possibilities just in this one statement, right? It was just like, it was also there that I heard the first story um, of uh, Patesawi, who's a white Buffalo calf woman. Um, who's sort of a Lakota superhero, if you will. She's a a deity who essentially brought the Lakota, all of our ceremonies. Um, But the story that was told, I mean, so that's her, that's why she's remembered, if you will, because of these ceremonies. But it's really cool because when the uh, medicine man was telling us uh, the story of Patesawi, he was like, um, so she meets these two guys, these two warriors and uh, one of them thinks of her in an impure way. And he kind of like, you, you know, it's in Yippie's dark, but you can kind of feel the wink in the air. He's like, and she, she turned him to dust. Ah, ha, ha, ha. Like, you know, here's this guy who has rapey thoughts in his head and he's not even doing anything in terms of acting it out. And this Lakota woman is just like, F you. And just like kills him <laughs> right there. And it's this like image of a, woman, a Lakota woman, like a indigenous woman smiting this guy who wants to take advantage of her. And she didn't even wait for him to do it. She's just like, you're gone. Poof. And the other guy's like, look, I didn't have those thoughts. And she's like, yeah, you're fine. Go back and tell them I'm going to bring them gifts. And when I've heard this story later in life, that part always gets sort of glossed over. Like, yeah, she killed this guy, but it's fine. But to me, that was another fundamental, like, holy shit. Like, I've never been told as an indigenous woman or a woman in general, right? At the time, I was identifying as a woman. Um, but uh, the I'd never heard of, of a woman having agency in that way, of just being like, nope, <laughs> I'm not even going to do not try me, right? Try Jesus, don't try me. Um, and, uh, that was sort of a power moment of being an indigenous woman, like, oh, and here's a dude telling that story to, to, to make it even better. Right. And he's telling it like, yeah. And he was telling it till the, cause it was a co-ed in EP. And so he's telling it to the young and the young boys really in the group. Cause it was like, you need to treat your women better and we shouldn't be, you know, um, you know, no, no abuse. And, you know, and it, I mean, it was a good lesson for everybody, but it, for me, it was like, wow, to hear, both of these huge concepts that really like 
spoke to me as you know indigenous first of all as Lakota first of all and as a woman and as somebody who um, was trying to find themselves in a, in, a, in in the queer uh you know pathways there and I was like oh my gosh like uh, and I couldn't wait to go back and you know they were letting us come back and I won't say that I was perfect after that it wasn't like this magical turnaround for me I still have a lot of work to do but it started me down a path of just how much culture could be this um this really healing medicinal uh, space for me. Um, and so it was, you know, college and then later coming back to my family on the, on the Shine River, and having them claim me as, as two-spirit, right? And that was kind of the first time I'd really started hearing that term. Um, and not just having it recognized, but then having it turned around and saying, it's it's not a word you can use like you use the word gay or queer or lesbian or bisexual or any of those other like boxes that we can check for ourselves. It is a responsibility. It is a role that you are undertaking in your community's name. If you don't have the capacity to take on this role and responsibility, you cannot claim two spirit. And I that always stuck with me because I hear it used this word two spirit used. In, in a lot of frivolous ways. And I never, you know, police language. I think that's a silly thing to do um, in general. Like I usually let people have space to, especially when it comes to identity. The only thing I'll, I'll stop people with is, uh, are you native? No. Okay. Well then you can't be two spirit. That's, <laughs> it's not yours. Give it back um, and give the land back. What? Uh, but with, uh, <laughs> you know, native, especially native youth, if they're going to cling to spirit, I'm going to let them have that, but I'm also going to work with them then and try to help them see that it, the responsibility is, is that you use, you know, the, the gifts that you were given as a two spirit person to lift your community up. So you know, for, for me and, 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 you know, what my elders told me was you're a storyteller and that's, that's something you have to go out into the world and, and make things better. And that's where I went with journalism as a sort of uh calling to uh, sort of rewrite how, you know, unless it was a, a powwow or a, or a cops and crime story, like we weren't, we weren't in the newspapers, especially not in South Dakota or Nebraska, where I first uh, started working. Um, you know, and so it was, uh, it was responsibility to be like, you know what, there's a native business that opened, uh, I'm going to go cover that. Or, uh, you know what, there's a, a scientist who's, uh, doing some really groundbreaking things and, uh, we need to cover that too. And I had an editor at one point tell me, um, you know, uh, that's a great story idea, but you already did that other native story last week. And we really need to like space out because we don't want to get too niche, and it was sort of, it was eye-opening. You know, this is mid-2000s. And uh, and I remember looking at my editor and going, wow, that's a really interesting concept because then by your math, and you know, I'm not that great at math, but by that calculation, like we do a shit ton of white stories, <laughs> right? Like every day, all day. Um, and so if race, if we're going to go by the, 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 the barometer of race, then, uh, <laughs> you know, we we do an awful lot of those stories. And it was, it was interesting because um, that could have gone several ways, right? Like you're fired, get out. But my editor was awesome and looked at me and was like, you're right. <laughs> um, he didn't give me that piece for that week, that day, sadly he saved it for the next week, but it was a starting point in conversations of, well, how do we do better? And we're still having that conversation almost 20 years later, but uh, in terms of diversifying newsrooms and getting those stories out, but 
you know, I'm, I'm, I'm happy to see, you know, uh, that kind of representation making its way into mainstream. Um, you know, I've been published in several high profile uh, platforms and uh, lots of good friends who have too. And, um, you know, but that's, that's, that's that responsibility that I see in myself as, as, as that identity, right. That two spirit indigenous mother identity um, is, is making, making a way so that the next generations have a little easier path uh, to go to work from. That was so beautiful. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, of um, course. <laughs> Just go to a neepy with some prisoners and you'll be fixed. <laughs> no, it was, I, I wish I would have like known who they were because it was just such a pivotal, like I write about it quite a bit. And um, like I said, it could have gone several ways, but it, it went a great way for me. And I just always, um, always remember that as far as like, you know, I talk about joke a little about being an elder in training, but like, that's the kind of, impact i want to have on even just one person right like if i can be that impactful as as that medicine man was for me um I, i'll 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 think i'll have lived a pretty cool life so awesome um so we talked about the possibility of you reading some work by some like native poets that yeah. have influenced you in some way. So if you'd like to do that, and then if you'd like to like, just talk, share a little bit of your own work, that would be incredible. For sure. Okay. So <laughs> um, I have so many, uh, but I want to give a shout out to Tanil Campbell. Um, she's Danae and McKee poet um, out of Canada. Um, I believe she's from English river first nation. And I'm reading this online, so I apologize if any of that's wrong. But they are; she's having a, a new book published this month, I believe. I, I think I just saw her do a, a book opening, um, you know, on their Instagram feed, uh, and it's called uh, and it's it's in Dene. Uh, it's and and they're they're D E N E, like they're kind of cousins of the Dene we know here. But um, uh, so anyway, Nedi Nezu, and I apologize if that's totally. Sorry, Tanil. Um, but it translates to good medicine and the cover is just so beautiful. It's like um floral beadwork. Um that's in and then on top of a bright yellow background. And um I don't have that book on hand because it's I don't even think it's out yet. But so she had another poetry book called Indian Love Poems. And um I was actually able to read with her at an event here at um K Info Shop um in um Mesa. Um and this was I think early last year, pre-pandemic. Uh, and it was, it was just so great. Like she's um, oh, just a super positive, like no nonsense auntie we all want to be. Um, <laughs> but um, so the poem it's, it's short um, that I'll read is, uh, I, I actually don't have a title for it, but I, it's the, I reference it as a, the anti-poem. So call me auntie. I'm too old for you. I am 195 moons older than you. I am one child born of me older than you. I am a million tears of sadness and laughter older than you. Call me auntie. Tennille Campbell. And I love, so she does a lot of like sex positive stuff. It's like hilarious stuff about like old exes and just like, like you're the you're the one I'm gonna remember later tonight with my best purple vibrator or whatever. Anyway, like <laughs> things you're like, oh my goodness. Right. <laughs> and when we were reading together, um, 
uh, like she, she actually inspired me to write um, a poem that you helped me publish actually for Anomaly um, called I Like Tacos. And if you want, I can read that. But this, that, this poem was actually inspired by Tennille um, in terms of that sort of raunchy fun poem. Uh, are you okay with me reading it now? I just say. Oh yeah, absolutely. I'm oh, okay, cool. Talking about with tacos, but we're gonna find out. I know, right? Like I'm sitting <laughs> in the middle of the woods, like give me an Indian taco. Like my my partner's <laughs> out there catching like fish and trying to pretend like they're gonna cook it later, but um, right. <laughs> ain't gonna happen. We're probably gonna stop for some tacos after this. All right. So All right. <laughs> I like tacos with the subhead. It's only as dirty as you want it to be. All right. <clears throat> I want you. An ache deep in my core drives me to collect the pieces of you scattered around like raw promises, waiting for me to feast. I lick my lips, salivating at the thought of your splintered fragments coming together and reforming into something beyond both of us. It makes me come undone. I work my fingers through a mound of your sticky recipe, kneading every part of you and letting you rise just high enough. Hmm. You like it rough. A slap here, a pull there, mm, tugging, pressing, stoking the fire and stretching your limits until gently, so gently I lay you flat, not to rest, but to burn you writhe for me sizzling with expectation i wait impatient and hungry for you it is ecstasy to watch your hills and valleys slick and glistening and drowning in the pop song of anointed bluebirds Hmm, but we're not finished just as you're about to combust i flip you and start the mad process over your body undulates for me and suddenly your hot brown perfection is ready and so is my tongue sometimes we play around with honey when you're feeling soft sweet and warm or sometimes we get wild like rice but tonight there's only meat let us experiment on your kamad bod with dairy-free cheese that melts in my mouth and in my hand round in all the right places your lovely lumps taste so good and i moan your name thanking the ancestors for the gift that will forever sit upon my soul and thighs you are my deliciously undeniable fry bread thank you thank you uh yeah, I say I'm inspired by Tanil. Tanil does this magical thing where she can get across massive points in like really small like poems and stanzas. Um because I'm an elder in training, I really feel like it's my duty to make really long poems. Um <laughs> I'm still trying to <laughs> I'm still trying to figure out how to do like short style stuff. Um but I, I like where, you know, I, I feel like it's part of my storytelling, uh, the, the long stuff goes. But that's probably one of my shorter ones. But it's also my, I think, my funnest one. I, I, so thank you, Tennille, for giving me um, a little bit of dirty playfulness to work with there. You know what? I love long poems. And we have, like, we have some time. So I would hey. love to hear one if you, if you have one to read for us. Oh, I've got so many. All right. Let me. This one is new. And kind of goes into our theme of two-spirit. This actually isn't super long, but it's longer as all my poems are. So, Okay. okay so I wrote this actually um, around National Coming Out Day, October 11th, which is two days before my birthday. Uh, because I came out 
right at the cusp of my 17th birthday. And this is called Two Spirit. And the two is spelled T-O-O. There are scars on my body where I imagine you might have touched me. Fairy tales on my upper arms and inner thighs. Mythologies grazing an ankle and teasing my wrists. But I closed those books just before the climax. Too ashamed of these spirited feelings for you, I released them in a ritual bloodletting night after night, slicing my spirit into jagged halves, fighting over whether my story would end with a period or a semicolon. Each cut a confession of every kiss I wanted us to share. Good Catholic girls don't want to kiss good Catholic girls, not in North Dakota. So I sacrificed pieces of my flesh for an impossible fantasy, too spirited to exist. At 17, I tried to come out. I didn't yet have words like bisexual or gender nonconforming, so I said I was gay, the same way I might tell someone the science of black holes, with a shrug, a shake of my head, and an apology for daring to think I could ever explain something of which I had so little knowledge and possessed too much. My gayness was like a black hole. It sucked. All-consuming. There was nothing left for others to do except pray the gay away and me right along with it. So I closed this book too and went back in. It took several years, a few states, lots of college, and even more therapy to understand how too much spirit and black holes complement each other, complement me. My spirit had never been too anything but two, as in more than the sum of any one explanation, more than one's expectation, not a black hole to disappear, but a portal to untold ancestral knowledge. I searched for the pieces of myself I had cut away, puzzling them back together with Lakota stories of people exalted for what we call queerness before untranslatable words and heart medicine were destroyed in the fires of colonial patriarchy. These stories described roles and responsibilities for people who embody transcendent spirits, and it was these stories that called me back to myself. I have mourned the words that tried to come out with me, and I have mourned words turned to ash. I'm 37 now. It's two decades, countless ceremony, and even more therapy later, and I've well into my role as a storyteller. We on Witko. I'm creating my own words for what has always been and always has been here and there and within me. Words that look and feel like something beyond gender or religion or politics. Something like accountability and purpose. The scars I carry tell the stories of my love. For you, yes, but more for myself, the ancestors, and the next seven generations. For the land and language I'm reconnecting with. They're all there rooting for me to level up, decolonize style. So I have repurposed these scars into constellations, stories across the universe of my body, reminding me of everything that has fought for this two-spirit to exist. Thank you. Wow. Thank you so much, Tate, for joining us for the podcast. Um, I'm just really touched every time I get to talk to you, um, I hope that once the quarantine is done, that we can like actually do a reading together at IRL. Yes. Yes. 
I can't wait. I cannot wait for that time to come to tell you the truth. Um, but anyway, I, is there anything you'd like to leave us with before we, um, before we go on with our day? I, if I, I think if your listeners are um, purposeful and intentional with their time and, and uh, resources that they'll uh, consider uh, supporting somehow the work of Equality Arizona and the work that uh, Equality Arizona does to uh, uplift um, not just queer voices, but queer indigenous voices um, because uh, <laughs> we're here, we're queer and we're doing it. Um, and we definitely need um and want right folks to to hear our stories and if there's anything that this last year has told us it's that we'll <laughs> trust us we'll put our stories out there um ha pun uh in any way we can um but uh, we definitely need that that feedback and i you know one of the things about uh, the live uh performances that i definitely miss is that uh audience energy um that comes with spoken word is just uh i i i love getting the nods and the snaps and um I really appreciated the audiences that have come through for, for these zooms that we've done. Um, but also um, the shares that happen, right. And the likes, and then also the financial support that goes into a organization like equality Arizona. So keep doing that. And uh, yeah, I appreciate the time on here. If you're interested in uh, following any of my work um, I'm on Instagram at Walker imagining like it sounds nothing special there but i also have a website it's jtatewalker.com tate is spelled like tate um so j tate walker um i uh, have a book coming out soon uh, i've got a couple of anthologies part of so um hope you support there too but thanks so much for your time and thank you tanner for allowing me to be a guest with you here absolutely and again this is the quality arizona podcast Queer and Transcultural Hub. Today, our guest was Tate Walker. We were so grateful to have them with us. Thank you so much. This has been a production of Equality Arizona. Find us online at equalityarizona.org.